That's great to be here. Wonderful. And uh, I really, I mean, who wouldn't sense that God's doing something beautiful here? I mean, we're in a coffee shop. Connie, you opened it up. And uh, God wants to do amazing things in this town. And he's going to use you guys. We were seeing, uh, my chains are gone. Uh, I've been set free. And I thought, I mean, as, I love that chorus that, Chris Tomlin added on to that. I think it's great. And I think, but why? Why are our chains gone? Why did God do that? Why did he set us free? Is there a purpose? Did did he have an intention in doing that? Is there something for us to do in our response? Is there there something? And of course, the answer is yeah, and that's what we're going to, a little bit that we'll talk about. But I do want to address... several things today, and we'll all tie it in. It'll be under the heading of worship, but one thing I want to clear out of the way first is what worship is. Uh, If you mention that word, worship, or praise to most people, they automatically think of, you know, whatever, their experiences or whatever, but most of the time, if you're honest, you would think that it has some sort of musical connotation. It has something to do with music. Worship Worship has been the last 20, 25 years, really almost married to worship music. And I think that's very dangerous. And I'm a, I'm, I'm a writer. I love to write worship songs. But I really feel that worship is so much more than worship music or what we do during what we call worship time. I mean, what we do here, what we did here, is express our worship. You know, we, but we... But we live a life outside of this, don't we? I mean, this is here, we're here for two hours or whatever. Or in this case, I'll speak for three. But, uh, no, well, we'll do that. Uh, but we're here for just a little while, but we live our lives in front of God all the time. And just through the years, I've heard some really great definitions of what worship is. And, uh, I mean, there are many, and, and they all have validity. But for me, it's boiled down to simply the, the life I live. That's what worship is. Non-musical, not talking about the life I live, going around listening to music and singing. I'm not talking about that. It's the life I live. It's the life we live. Because that's how God sees us. In John, Jesus said uh, that God was looking for those who would worship him in spirit and truth. He's not looking for worship. He's not... You know, he's got plenty of music going on up there. I mean, if you remember what Isaiah, what happened in Isaiah when uh, he said he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Uh, you know, there was a king that had died. And Anyway, if you remember that, I think it's Isaiah 6, if you want to look it up. But there was this sound that was made by just a couple of angels calling back and forth, holy is the Lord. And the sound of their voice shook the temple of God. Not his voice, their voice. So what we're doing down here, I mean, he likes it, but, you know, he's not really impressed with our songs. He's got it going on up there in a really big way. And it's, and it's powerful and it's amazing. But what he is impressed with and what he does look at are the lives that we live. Because he's not looking for worship. He's looking for those who will worship him. For those who do worship him. And... If you, if you strip away all the musical connotation, it's easy to get 
in behind and, and look at worship as a definition more clearly. Just, just take away, what if there was no music in the earth? Were there no worship songs, worship albums? Would we still worship God? Would you still be a worshiper? And if so, how? How would you express that worship? In, in my case, I live with an amazing worshiper. And, I mean, and it's not her voice or anything like that. Deborah expresses her worship by taking little old ladies to the hospital and spending time with people who most people wouldn't spend time with. And I think, now that is an expression of worship that God says, I accept that. I like that. And it's easy to sing songs and not have a life behind it. And I think in that case, he goes, I don't hear it. I don't hear it. You know, you can really sing. You know all the songs. You can lift up your hands. You're very active, very expressive. But if the life isn't behind it, and again, clear it out because it's hard sometimes. Not the life of going in your house singing all the time because that's, that's a real problem for people. Uh, when I first started going around teaching on worship, I realized that there were so many people who were saying, especially guys who come to me, man, how can I be a worshiper? I mean, I can't even carry a tune. And I'm the head of my house. I'm supposed to lead them in worship? How can I do that? I don't even like to sing. Well, it doesn't have anything to do with singing or with music. It just has to do with the life you live. And there are many expressions of worship, our giving, the time that we, that we spend with people. I mean, everything in our life, if we worship God, is an act of worship. Everything. Our whole life is an expression of worship. And that's what I want to look at. I promise you you won't be bored. We'll just have some fun looking at it. Uh, but I wanted to clear that out. You know, I feel like there's such a huge move of God in the earth today and, and has been. But I feel like we've, we've stopped short many times, especially corporately. We stopped short of doing something that is really, really powerful both corporately and individually, and I want to talk about that a little bit as well. But for sure, Jesus said God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. And he hasn't stopped. That's God's heart. It's always been his heart. If you remember when he called the people out of Egypt in Exodus chapter 19, he's, he pulled them out and, uh, and he said, you will be for me a holy nation in a royal priesthood. And right there in Exodus, the second book of the whole Bible, the first real communication he ever had with the people who would be the people of God, who would be the Jewish nation, he put his stamp on them and he said, you, although all the earth is mine, I'll, I'll read it. I have to put these on though. So, don't laugh. Oh, whoa. Hey. Uh, it's really great. And it, what's great about it is it's repeated. Uh, it's repeated over and over, but it says, chapter 19, verse, three, verse 5, Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. That was before the law was given. God told Moses to tell the Israelites that before he ever went back up onto Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments. 
That was actually about the first thing that God said besides let my people go and come and worship me. It was, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. And there, maybe you've seen it, but there are many, many references to priests in the Bible, many, many references in the New Testament. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, uh, declaring the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, and we're going to look a little bit at priesthood because that is, I believe, part of the, I know, it's part of the calling on our lives. But what in the world is a priest? You know, is it a Rastafarian guy? They're a Rastafarian priest with dreadlocks and they smoke a whole lot of pot. I don't think we're supposed to be those kind of priests. Uh, you know, they're Catholic priests. We all have images of what a priest are, priests are, but you're a priest. I'm a priest. And the root word for priest, kohen, means draw near. It means one who draws near. That's all it means. It takes all the mystery out. The root word, kohen, one who draws near. But it doesn't just stop there, because when you see the application of what a priest did, he didn't just draw near. He drew near for a purpose. He drew near to do something. And so you see where uh, the call of God was on a whole nation to be a royal priesthood before him, to draw near to him, to be his people and be near him. God's always wanted that. He's always been about the relationship. He's always been about us being close to him. That's, what he, that's all he's ever really wanted. And he has that now. We are that royal priesthood. But for many, many years, uh, only one person was the high priest. There were other priests, the Levitical priesthood, the tribe of Aaron. They were, they were priests, and they performed that function. But only one man, one time a year, could go in, and he would meet with God in the temple. That, that was the deal. And he said, if you keep all my laws, then you'll be able to meet with me. In fact, there's an amazing thing. Something about change you can believe in. <laughs> uh, there's an amazing scripture in Hebrews 7. And uh, here we go. In Hebrews 7, got a Bible, just turn to it. It's pretty amazing. Because you, you need to look at it. Somewhere I have Hebrews. Here it is. Now remember, the call of God came to the, came to the Israelites, and he said, you'll be for me a holy priesthood. You'll be a royal nation. And he separated one tribe out of all of the nations, out of all of Israel, to come and minister to him, and that was the tribe of Aaron. And only people born from that tribe could minister before God as a priest in the temple. And it went that way for six, seven hundred years, at least. Uh, if you weren't of the tribe of Aaron, then what they did, they did for you. And they would go in amidst much clanging of cymbals and trumpets blaring and music, and we probably wouldn't like the sound of it today. We'd probably go, man... What are they thinking? But that was music to them. And, and in the midst of that, the high priest would go in. And uh, in Exodus, it continues. I won't read it, but I challenge you to research it. What Aaron wore. He wore breastplate that God said, fashion a breastplate for Aaron, who will be the high priest. He was the first high priest. And on that breastplate were 12 stones. They were all different stones. 
And upon each of those stones was carved one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel was divided into 12 tribes. And so it said that he would wear that breast piece and he would go into the holy place, which was the very place where God said, believe it or not, though I'm God, you are going to meet with me and I will come and meet you in the holy of holies in this temple. That was an amazing thing that God would meet with a man who would come in fear and trembling. And he touched those stones and on his heart. And because he was a man who walked among all those tribes, he knew all their needs. And so in that place, after he drew near to God, he didn't just stop there and go, oh man, just breathe on me, God, and get down deep in me. I just, this is amazing. You're here. And he could say, yeah, I am. But what are you going to do? I've called you for a reason, called you for a purpose. And the purpose was to touch those stones, to call out for those people groups on his heart that were represented on his heart to God and to intercede for them, to represent them to God and say, God, the tribe of Benjamin, they really need this or that, and they have sickness here or there. And he would call out to them and would meet with God on their behalf. And so it wasn't just... Uh, uh, all about Aaron. It was all about being a priest before God. And there are a lot of things about priesthood that are in the scriptures that are really amazing. Tons and tons of stuff. And you can see in Hebrews that they didn't leave that behind. In fact, it says that, that God swore by his own name, which is higher than any other name. Since he couldn't swear by anything else, he swore by his own name. That his son, that Jesus would be a priest forever. And he said after the order of Melchizedek, but we won't get into that, but he said, you will be a priest forever. And you, you may know the scripture that says, he does live forever to intercede for us. And that, to me, that's amazingly comforting to know that Jesus does intercede for us right now. He, he is still a priest. He was the great high priest here on earth. And he's the son of God, but he's not like a lazy kid who just sits on the couch and watches uh, television. You know, he, he doesn't have and didn't have on the earth an entitlement issue at all. When Jesus was on the earth, though he was the son of God, entitled to everything if he wanted it, it says that he dropped all that and he humbled himself and took on the form of a man. And one of the things he did was perform as a priest. And so I want to look at that just real quickly because this is how important the priesthood is to God. And remember, you're a priest. You're a priest. It says here, um, let me just read this in 7.5. No, we'll, we'll start with 11. Okay. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people. Why was there still need for another priest to come? Not in the order of Aaron, not in the order of Melchizedek. For when there was a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of the law. And when I first saw those things, I mean, I'd read it many times, probably 15, 20 years ago, that jumped out to me, and I went, wait a minute, that's... And I went through all kinds of translations, like, that's reversed, that's not right. It should say when there's a change in the law, there must be a change in the priesthood. For on the basis of the law, the priesthood was given, right? No. It says, 
on the basis of the law, on the basis of it, on the basis of the priesthood, the law was given to the people. And when there's a change in the priesthood, there has to be a change in the law. We have a new covenant because there was a new priest installed. Jesus, the high priest of our faith. We have a whole new way to get to God because there's a whole new priest who made the way through his own body. And there's, there's so much about the priesthood that's really amazing. But to, to see the importance that God has placed upon the priesthood, that the priesthood actually came before the law. And if you go back, it makes a lot of sense. He basically was saying, I want you to be priests before me. Remember that definition. I want you to be a people who will draw near to me. I want you to be a people who can come near to me. But in order to come near to me, you have to keep these laws I'm going to give you. And I give you these laws so that you'll know whether you're succeeding or failing. Of course, they failed every time, like we would. But if you do fail, then there will be sacrifices and offerings of innocent bulls and goats and turtle doves. And even though you failed, their blood will atone for your sins. And once a year, the high priest can go in and he can meet with me on your behalf. It's an amazing thing. So on the basis of this drawing near that God desired out of a whole people group, it eventually boiled down to one man being able to do that once a year. And on the basis of that, the law was given. Now, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that, hey, there was a change in the priesthood. And so there had to be a change in the law. What happened to the law? It says it was abolished. It was fulfilled. The old covenant. Now there's a new agreement because there's a new priest, a new priest in town, one who lives forever, and his name is Jesus. And not only is he a priest, but he has made us kings and priests before God forever. In Revelation, it says four or five different times that we are a kingdom of priests. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked in the mirror and, and you know, you may have said many things to yourself in the mirror, but you may have never said, wow, I'm a priest. Now, you've probably never said that. It's a, it's a weird thing, but if you, if you take out the mystery and recognize that we're called to be priests for a reason, and so I, I just want to talk just briefly about and have a little bit about the call of God on your life, the purpose of God for your life, and the destiny in God for your life. We've already seen that God called Israel. He called them out of Egypt. He called them to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood to minister to him, to be near to him, and to represent him on the earth. And then that happened for a long, long time, and then Jesus came. And Jesus came as a, as a priest, and he let the secret out, you know, in different ways. He said, hey, uh, you're, really, you're really doing good with your lips. You're praising me with your lips. That's a good thing. He didn't cut down the songs, but he said, but I'll let you in on a secret. Your hearts are still a long way away from me. I don't think he was cutting the people down when he said that. He was referencing an Old Testament scripture. He said, this, you know, uh, these people truly praise me with my, their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I think many times we've been guilty of that, you know, singing songs, and we kind of can go through the motions. Maybe you've never experienced that. That's, that's an amazing thing. But we can, we can do that. But I think he was talking about something much deeper. He was saying, it's easy to have this rote, this format, where you sing the praises of God, 
and forget to live for the praise of God. Every day, to actually live for the praise of God and take that one step further and represent the praise of God in the earth. To represent Him in the earth. Um, so anyway, that's, that's part of our call, is to, be, is to be priests before God. He's made us sons. He's made us daughters. That'll never end. And, uh, and neither will our priesthood. Now, I think when I look at it properly, I think part of our priesthood will have to change. When I, when I look at what Jesus does, it says that he lives forever to intercede for us. And that should really make all of us feel pretty good that we have his intercession still for us. But there will come a day when all the decisions that are to be made will have been made. And he won't need to pray or we won't need to pray for people's salvation. And so part of the function of our priesthood will go away. But, but the purpose of our priesthood will still remain, which is to always be near God. And there's so many things about our priesthood that are in, just look in Revelation, it talks about us being made, he who ever comes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Priestly language. It's just full. And I don't want to go into a whole bunch of that because it can, you know, there's a lot there. But I challenge you to go and research everything you can about the priesthood and look at it with a view, with an intent of seeing yourself in it, seeing your life in it. Lord, how does this apply to me? If I'm a priest, how am I supposed to be a priest? How am I supposed to function as a priest? What's a priest do? And uh, one definition in the Old Testament says, every priest is appointed by God to offer gifts and sacrifices. And that's repeated in Hebrews right there. So what you did this morning, lifting up hands and singing songs, that's a priestly function. You offered up a sacrifice, a gift. And if you're a really bad singer, the person next to you really offered up a sacrifice. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a gift. But, but again, if that's all we offer up, that's a pretty shallow sacrifice. That's a pretty paltry gift. He's looking for much, much more. So who do we look to to, to have an example as, you know, how do we live as priests? Well, we look at Jesus. He's our great high priest. He's the one who actually lived the life of a new priest, the high priest. He went about doing good. He went about healing people. He went about living a life that was devoted to God. He, he was the first New Testament worshiper. You know, he went around, again, get music out of your mind. He went around for the worship of God, the same way we're to do. And I, and I think, you know, there are churches all over the United States, all over the world, that are amazing at the musical expression. I mean, when you think about it, 110 years ago, before Edison really got going with his little blue amberall, Deborah's dad used to collect, how many blue amberall things did he have? hundreds and maybe thousands and perhaps billions but there were you know all these uh blue amber all uh cylinders that are made of wax and bands or speakers or politicians actors they they would come into a little recording studio and they would put on the blue amber all wax which was which was uh pliable and the needle 
would go across the wax cylinder and would record their voice. A miracle. They could hear their voice back. That was 110 years ago. Before that time, if you heard anybody speaking, if you heard any music at all, it was because you were in the presence of somebody playing that music. Or you were playing it yourself. We live in a completely new day. Most of the generations who've ever lived in the world, I mean, they would be amazed at what we have. Where's, where's that sound coming from? What is that? You know, all this music that we have, we're inundated. Not only that, I mean, now, I mean, we have all these different forms, delivery systems, you know, uh, and, and music is, you go in the elevators and, you know, I don't know how many elevators are around, but you're in your car, there's music, you go to a movie, What's the thing that separates a movie from real life? It's usually there's a soundtrack. I mean, when you're in your kitchen, hopefully you usually don't turn and hear, you know, there's a soundtrack behind it that makes it, uh, you know, that gives it a little more oomph. Or when you look at your wife, you know, a lot of times you don't hear that. You know, oh, I love it. You know, it'd be cool. It'd be cool if you could do that sometimes, but... But we have this musical soundtrack that we, that a lot of people live to. We're inundated with music. And so it's easy to think that it's all about music. It's easy to, to just kind of stop there. But we can't. Even in our musical times, I really think that God is going to have us pressing on much more to fulfill more of the function of our priesthood. Great. God's here. God's near. We've drawn near. That's a beautiful thing. But now what do we do? Do we just bask in it, you know, like gators in the sun? Yeah, dude, let the sun beam down on me, you know. Or is there something else that we should do? Are we supposed to do something in that place? Look at Aaron. He was in the midst of amazing worship, and in the midst of that worship, he drew near to God, but he didn't stop there. It was in that place that he offered up his prayers to God. It was in that place that he interceded. Intercession is the ministry of reconciliation. He, he was busy trying to reconcile men to God and God to men. He was busy in that place. And I feel that we stop short so many times. And, you know, I mean, some, some churches just get going and it's hard to hear, hear it right away. But I feel like, gosh, you guys have an amazing opportunity because you're meeting here in this coffee shop. There's tons of needs in Albemarle. And you've got an opportunity. I mean, you know, it was pretty amazing after Paul addressed everybody how people, you know, there are a lot of hands lifted up that weren't lifted up before. And it is a sacrifice. It is an effort. A lot of us are, I was talking with Bart earlier, a lot of us are Germanic stock. You know, we're not necessarily Italian. We have Italian friends, and they're like, Gary, Deborah. They're real expressive, you know. They got their hands out. It's easy, but I, you know, Germanic people are kind of like, hey, how's it going? Good to meet you. You know, we're just kind of stiff, and, and it takes God to open us up. So we get opened up, and we feel like, well, that's it then. You know, by golly, by Jove, he's got it. But there's that other step we need to take to fulfill our priesthood individually and corporately. And I tell you what, I just think it's going to be a powerful day when in our times of worship, you know, maybe to a musical pad or whatever, prayers begin to come up, and it's not a funky thing. It's a really amazing thing that everybody is on board with, that, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do now. We're supposed to 
We're supposed to meet with God so that we can intercede for all these needs we know about in our community. What a powerful, what more powerful place to do that? What more powerful place to perform the function of the priesthood than when you feel the nearest to God? And so I, you know, I feel like he has called us out of darkness to declare the praises of him. You know, I mean, he, he made us a royal priesthood for that. Um, I wanted to share also the fact that our destiny in him is just an amazing thing. Who knows what we'll be? Paul said, I don't know what we're going to look like. You know, it's going to be amazing. I don't know what a new heaven, a new earth, you know, what our bodies will look like whether we'll see our pet dog that we used to have. Man, I hope so. I do. I had a dog I used to run with all the time, and I miss him. And sometimes I was like, Lord, it'd be an easy thing for you to recreate him. I'd l- let me see Sam one day. But who knows? But uh, I can, I'll live with it either way. I, I, uh, I have a friend one time, and he said, you know, if you can think about what it's going to be, you can be sure that that's not it because it says no mind has conceived, no eye has seen what, what he has in store. So if you can picture it, that ain't it. It's going to be something else. Better. Way better. But we're a part of that. God's always wanted nearness. He went to great lengths to bring a people out of Egypt and make them you know, the Jewish nation so that he would have a pathway and that we would have a pathway to be brought near to him, to be near to God. But again, think about all those years when it was just one man. He was the only one who could go and be near to God. And you know some people had to go, man, what was that like? Were you scared? Was it, was it amazing? I mean, what was it like? And he had answers. He could tell them. I mean, think about that. He met face-to-face with God in a temple. But then something really amazing happened. And on the day of Pentecost, God poured out his spirit. And, and what he'd said he would do, which was that he would one day never again dwell in a temple. That he would never again come down and meet with somebody in a little spot. That he would dwell in temples made of flesh. He did that day. He fulfilled it that day. He poured out his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, and 2,000 years on this side of it, it's hard for us to see the huge uproar that that caused, that people finally realized that God is living in me. God, the God of the temple, the God that Aaron met with, and he touched his stones, and God came down, and there was fire, and there was a, there was a rope around the legs of high priests that if they hadn't been holy before God, they would just drag him out because they would die in his presence. That God has come to live inside of me. That was an astounding, amazing thing, and it still is. But we're just we're so far removed from it. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. Wow! It is an amazing, amazing, amazing thing that we have the Spirit of God who made everything in us. And that God has said, not only will I live in you, you're my temple. You are where I reside. You are where I am holy. So be holy and live a life that represents the fact that you are the temple of God. There's a lot of references to us being the temple. And like I said, I think it's in 
his address to Sardis, one of the, one of the seven churches that Jesus ad- addresses in Revelation. It's kind of cool to look at it because he kind of hammers every one of the churches but one. You know, he, he says, this is okay, but this really is, is bad. And then he says, but to him who overcomes, you know, uh, I'll write his name in the, you know, on his forehead or I'll let him know my new name. It's really cool to look at. And then in Sardis, which is, I think, the very last one, that's where he says, to him who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar. I, I don't know all that that means. It's way beyond what I think anybody can capture. But here's Jesus in the book of Revelation, and he's still referencing a temple. He's still referencing in other places, priesthood. We're a kingdom of priests, a royal nation. That's, uh, it's mentioned, I think, four times. And so it's still a big deal to God. It's not just, oh, priesthood, I don't know about it. It's a big deal to God. It's something that's, that's eternal and something that he is involved in, that he wants us to be involved in. Uh, oh, gosh. Where to start? Here, Revelation chapter 1. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. That's Revelation 1, like the uh, what verse is that? Like 3 or 4. Here's another one. Um, it says in chapter 5, you know, the new song. You've probably read the scripture. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be king, a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And there are a lot of references to us being priests. So not only is Jesus a priest forever, he lives forever to intercede for us, because we will live forever, we'll be priests forever. Again, that's pretty, you know, who knows all that that entails, but we do know at least a couple of things, that a priest did draw near to God and they did intercede. So I feel like, well, we're we're doing one of those things, we are drawing near to God, but we need to intercede too. And I don't think we need to segment them. You know, we're so American in our teaching. The American collegiate system is really guilty of kind of segmenting things. We took sentences and we segmented them. You know, they knew that, you know, and we've done that to sciences and the math and everything. And we've done it to the scriptures too. And we've done it to our theology. Uh, so we've separated the worshipers from the intercessors. And there really has never been a separation, not in God's view. 72 of the Psalms that were written by David, uh, they're titled Tehillahs. And Tehillah means literally a sung prayer, a sung intercession. Sung prayer. So you see a model right there. David was also a priest, even though he wasn't of the tribe of Aaron. He was also a priest in God's view. And so you see the marriage right there of a sung intercession. That's perfect for us. And we've got these times where we can sing songs, and if the musicians just know to just kind of drag the song out a little bit, you know, just 
give it a little space so people can own the song a little bit, make it theirs, and then take the truth from that song, you know, own it a little bit more, and then go, you know what, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to pray for this right now. I'm going to pray for that right now. It, it could happen a lot of different ways, but I think however it starts, it needs to happen. We need to be praying, folks. We need to be really interceding in a big, big way, and I think, you know, certainly privately, but how powerful will it be when we've all practiced this at home and then come together corporately, and it's an explosion of an expression of, you know, a musical expression and a prayer expression and people bringing out psalms and all. And again, I mean, I've seen it be funky. I have. I've been in places where it was kind of forced and it was just like, oh gosh, this is like a, you know, a yearling moose. It was just ugly. And, or, you know, or it's, it's just becomes a legalistic thing. But God is, he's the God of freedom. And he's the God who leads us into, uh, new things, just like this fellowship you have here, this gathering. It's a new thing. It's a new thing he's doing in this town. And I feel like if you, if you approach it the way he leads you, then you will find yourself amazed at what God wants to do. I think you'll find out more and more, wow, God, you really want to do that? You plan on doing this? Wow, you can do that? You know, I mean, yeah, of course he can. He's God. But wow, he really did do this? You know, he really wants to do so much in this community and in these days. And I think in the days to come where, you know, uh, America goes through, I think, more crisis, where people lose jobs or it's harder and harder, there'll be more needs. There'll be more people coming going, I know you're saying this stuff, but is it real? You know, is this God? Is he really real? And, and if so, has he got something for me to do? Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. He's got a huge call on your life. You've got a big purpose to play. And, and it could take a lot of pathways, but just every day you can, you know, you can fulfill a function. There's a purpose for you. And because uh, who, doesn't, who doesn't want a, a purpose in your life? Who doesn't want a purpose? We all want to feel like we're useful. You know, maybe not on Saturday, college football day, but other than that, we want to feel that we're really useful. And, uh, no, even that day, you know, if there's something that needs to be done, I'm going to do it. That's my promise, Deborah, from now on. Uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, we've got to be useful to God. And he... When we look at that square, and I challenge you, I mean, there's a zillion things about the priesthood. I would just go through and look at everything to do with the priesthood. Not everything will make sense. Uh, not everything might be a direct application, but look both through the Old and the New Testament with this in mind, that not only does it apply to you, but that there is an Old and a New Testament because of the priesthood, that on the basis of the priesthood, the law was given. The law represents the Old Testament. And because there was a change in the priesthood, there was a change in the law. The old law was fulfilled. The new priest came, Jesus. And we have the New Testament. And we're all priests because of that. We're all believers because, because of that. We're all sons and daughters because of that. It's an amazing thing. Uh, and I can't tell you the first thing at all of how to actually practically 
go about doing it for this fellowship, other than, you know, Phillips leading or whatever uh, during a musical time. It might be cool for somebody to be bold and just start praying for one thing out loud or for there to be an encouragement for everybody to pray. Hey, we got the music going on, and instead of singing this song, because we've sung it 12 times, let's just let there be a musical pad and everybody pray for whatever God has placed on your heart because you're all priests, you've all got a breastplate, you've all got, you know, that's what's cool. Aaron prayed for those things that he had responsibility for. He had a, what you have responsibility to pray for, you also have authority to pray for. And so he recognized, wow, I, I better get in there and dig down deep and pray for these people. And so we have people that God's placed on our hearts. They might be and probably are some of our neighbors who we don't know very well. You know, but to get in there and, you know, I'm not talking about a long, long time. But maybe just give it a start where just for a couple of minutes to a musical pad, everybody just prays. And some might sing their prayers and some might speak their prayers. To go that direction and give it a start and see where God meets you and see how he draws you along. That could be really powerful. And I do believe that uh, it, would, it could help to change this whole area. It would be a powerful thing.